What's going on, FCS football fans? Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. I am David Hassegan, and as always, the man to my left, the very dapper Emery Hunt, the star of the playbook. Emery, good morning. Good morning, Dave. How's it going this this fine fall morning for you? It's finally fall. It, exactly. it finally feels like football weather up here in the Northeast. A little bit rainy, but you know what? We can deal with that. Um, I'm still a little exhausted staying up from that Chiefs-Pats game last night. That was craziness, but it it paled in comparison to the craziness (laughs) that was Week 7 in the FCS. Folks, we got a lot to talk about. It was upset central. So much parity right now in the FCS. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our game balls, of course. We're going to go a conference-by-conference breakdown of the midway point. And can we try to make sense of this? Because at this point, there's no... Like, <laughs> there's there's no reason to actually try to predict anything th- anymore because nothing makes sense. So we're gonna go through there. We're gonna talk about our biggest surprises and disappoint and disappointments at the halfway mark. And of course, we'll have our week eight breakdown as we get into the second half of the season. As always, folks, you can listen back on these podcasts if you go to iTunes or SoundCloud. Search football game plan in the podcast section. Subscribe while you're over there so you don't miss any football game plan content. Don't forget to go to youtube.com slash football game plan and footballgameplan.com for all of your weekly knowledge going into the FCS slate. And let's get right into it, Emery. Before we go into the games, though, uh, we do have some uh, some very good news from an off-the-field perspective uh, that we're, uh, we're given an update for um, in the last 24 hours. Uh, Christian Abercrombie uh, obviously suffered that very scary injury, the uh, linebacker for Tennessee State has been upgraded. He is off the ventilator. He is breathing on his own. So obviously very good news there uh, for that young man. Very scary injury, and we've been uh, trying to follow that situation over the last couple weeks. He is breathing on his own. Still a long road ahead, but certainly we uh, send the best out to his family, and thank goodness that that he is okay. Um, let's get into the on-the-field stuff. Let's talk about where you were this week, Emery. You had a, uh, you had a fun ball game covering this week. You were at the <laughs> Howard game. Break it down for us. What in the world happened out there? Yeah, I was on a broadcast for the Howard-Delaware State game, their first home game, which is essentially their second game, supposed to be, because the first one against Savannah State was canceled because of the hurricane. But when you look at Howard and their offense, the go-go offense, I was vastly – I was blown away by what they were able to do out there from an offensive standpoint and the fact that they're playing a lot of freshmen. I know Delaware State – is a young team. They were playing a lot of freshmen and sophomores as well. They have a new head coach in Rod Millstead. He's going to be building that program in the right direction. But this offensive Howard, when you see it up close and you see the potential, you're just like, man, they average 500 yards a game coming in. They're averaging a lot of points a game. And when I talked to Coach Brennan Marion before the game, he was like, man, yeah, we're, we're killing it, you know, yards-wise, points-wise, but we're 1-3. we got to start closing out games and winning. And this was by far the best defensive performance of the season for Howard. Now, granted, it's against an offense in Delaware State, but when you're talking about playing a lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomore sophomores on defense to get those stops and, and create turnovers like they did, it's probably the most complete game they played in the 55-13 to 13 victory. But there was a lot to like on both teams, and you can see that both coaching staffs are building this, their programs in the right direction. Well, we've seen that the last couple of years, especially with teams in the Ivy around here. We saw it with Columbia. We've seen it with Yale. Playing the youth is not always a bad thing. And sometimes, you know, sometimes there are some growing pains. Sometimes they don't know any better, so they're going to go out and play. So we'll have to keep an eye on Howard, not only this year, because they have a very good ball team this year, the next couple seasons they could be a force in the MEAC. 
let's get into the into the weekend, every because we were texting back and forth. I was up in Springfield for uh, Springfield College's homecoming. You were out on the road, and Saturday night we were texting each other back and forth, just finding upset after upset after upset that happened in the FCS this past week. And let's start right away with Furman against Wofford. Now we had high hopes for Furman. We thought they were going to be a much better team, and the, for the first four weeks, we both looked like complete idiots because they were not doing well. They they could have been zero and five. They had a game canceled as well. They probably glad that one got. They canceled. They probably did. Then they come out and they crush Wofford. Like it wasn't a beating; it was a crushing of Wofford, thirty-four fourteen. Down go the Terriers. What happened for Furman? Have they finally decided to wake up and show up here? I was more impressed with the fact that they dominated this game defensively because we yeah. know how tough Wofford's offense is and. To be quite honest, Wofford's defense is extremely good. Um, And I've been banging the drum for Wofford all season long, talking about they should have beaten Wyoming. This is a very good team, a top-five team. And they go out and lay an egg against a Furman squad that, quite honestly, struggled on offense. They couldn't really stop the run on defense. And here they are in this ballgame completely dominating Wofford. Yeah. Stoddard uh, had, what, 76 yards rushing? Yeah. He's averaging, what, almost 150-something a game. So – to stop their number. lead dog and, and to really move their defense off the spot, this looked like the Furman team we expected to see coming into the season. Well, we also had a top five upset. Uh, we had a couple top five upsets, but let's start with the more shocking one. Oh, don't rest on your laurels, Elon. They A week after they beat JMU in amazing fashion, Delaware shows up and just absolutely dominates them. 28-16 for the Blue Hens. They keep their season alive, number one, but this is a I mean, Elon, th- th- this is this has to be resting on their laurels. It has De- to be. And Delaware won the way they were supposed to win. Efficient passing game, outstanding rushing attack, solid defense. So they played a complete game and knocked off the Phoenix. And I've been quite honest about the Phoenix so far this season that they've been flirting with a loss. Mm-hmm. They've played a lot of closed games. Uh, we've seen McNeese State play a lot of closed games that they've won too, so maybe they are flirting with the loss as well. Mm. But Elon really got – manhandled in this ball game by Delaware. And shout out to the Blue Hens passing game because, again, it doesn't have to be 400 yards a game, 300 yards a game. Just be efficient. Keep the offense ahead of the chains. Don't turn the ball over. And the way you play defense and the way you can run the football will all work itself out in the end, and it did here against the Phoenix. And this is a Delaware team that a lot of people had high hopes for, especially we, like both of us thought they were going to finish in the playoff spot. Again, another team that underperformed in the first half of the season. Maybe they're finally finding the right gear. They're working through it. A good game as well for uh, Kanai Kane as well. Uh, over 100 yards rushing and a touchdown for the Blue Hens. Another top five upset. This one not as big a one perhaps, but considering what happened the week before, it was a little bit of a shocker that this one was so low scoring. Weaver State knocks off Eastern Washington 14-6. to uh, Weaver obviously coming off a loss. They were number 13 in the country. Eastern Washington coming off a dominant performance. They looked pedestrian against Weaver. This was on my upset alert watch list uh, in the videos we put out every every week, the FCS kickoff videos. And the reason why was what kind of play you're going to get from Eric Barrier, the quarterback. Uh, he did a great job in replacing Gubrud, who was out with injury last week. This past week, now he's the starter going into the week as the starter. Mm-hmm. And now you see, okay, this is the guy that they're going to focus on, they're going to game plan against. And you kind of thought that maybe the running game would help compensate for him coming in as, right. as as the passer. But Weber State's defense once again stepped up and, and really shut down Eastern Washington's ground game, made the passing game ineffective, and they were able to capitalize. And they got enough points to win. You only need to, what, score one more point than your opponent. 
So it's not like they were dynamic offensively. Their defense was the biggest story in this ball game, and it helped them win this very key matchup in the Big Sky Conference against a team like Eastern Washington. Speaking of beating opponents by one point, a shocker, maybe a blessing in disguise for the MEAC, Florida A&M knocks off number 10 North Carolina A&T 22-21. Ryan Stanley continues his excellent season, 28-53, 313 yards. Uh, Yahia Ali, 26-yard field goal with four seconds left to get the win for the Rattlers. A shocking victory. Florida A&M now very firmly in the driver's seat, but does this loss mean playoffs for A&T? Or is this a team that's going to be in free fall? Well, that's the question. Can they win out? Because they're going to have to win out. They can't afford another loss if they're trying to make a case for the playoffs. They have some impressive wins, but they also have some ugly losses. Now, if FAMU goes and runs the table, then this is an impressive loss for them. Right. But they have to win out. We were checking this this game this game out during the broadcast of Delaware State Howard because it's a big matchup in the MEAC and also a lot of playoff implications or Celebration Bowl implications are involved. FAMU is a team that's that's has their eyes set on Atlanta. You look over in the SWAC, quietly Southern is picking up the pace, and they're looking. If FAMU and Southern gets to the Celebration Bowl, 40,000 seats will not be enough. That will be one of the most colorful Celebration Bowls in a long time. Right. Well. It, it is almost like the old – they used to play that game while I was the Atlanta Classic, and it was – you're talking about 70,000, 80,000 people. So if I'm the celebration ball, I'm kind of hoping if <laughs> FAMU and Southern get in. But we were checking this game out, and A&T was dominating this game early on. He thought, okay, yeah. they'll run away with it. They're, they're back on track. You know, what we saw last week was obviously the A&T that we expected to see all season long. Credit Florida A&M head coach Willie Simmons to come in on the road, come back, and once again A&T falls by special teams. Yep. A late kick propelled A&M to victory. So credit Florida A&M playing a complete game, coming back like through adversity and having a field goal kicker to make kicks. And North Carolina A&T, you talked about their, you know, they have to go undefeated. They got four games left. They're at Bethune-Cookman. Tough game. Then they're home with Norfolk State. Tough game. At Savannah State. That should be OW. But then they're at NC Central to finish the year. You don't You're the last four on the road. Yeah, and you don't even know what Central team is going to show up. Will it the one that got (laughs) dominated by Prairie View A&M or the one that dominated Howard? in that victory. And Bethune-Cookman still very much alive for a spot in the Celebration Bowl. They are still one of the more well-balanced teams in the league, oh, as yeah. well as Norfolk State. They can both throw and run the football, and they play great defense. So A&T, again, it's not an easy road to the postseason. It never is. Talk about another shocking loss, though, in the top 15. Down goes Nichols to Abilene Christian. Again, like... It was, it, again, this is, one the, this is the point where we were kind of losing our minds. We're like, well, this is an upset. We got these two upsets. Oh, wait, there's these two as well. Oh, I missed that one, but here's this one too. Evelyn Christian comes in with a 28-12 win. Where did this come from, and is this the end for Nichols? Well, not to toot my own horn, but this was a team in the summer and we were doing our Southland Conference previews, a team that it was part of my hot take segment. I was like, keep an eye on Abilene Christian. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of bad things happen to them last year. They didn't win a lot of games, Um, and I knew – Coach Darrell is an outstanding coach, came from the Division II level. They recruited well. They had a lot of talent on the roster already. And so you're going to see a turnaround. And they've been close, but this was the game that they finally put together and beat a very good team in Nichols. And if you're Nichols, you're in the same boat as A&T. You can't afford another loss, considering how crazy the FCS has been last year 
hell, we saw a team in that same conference go 9-2 and two and not make the playoffs. So if you're Nichols, you definitely have to win out and win impressively because there are going to be a lot of discussion about those at-large teams come FCS playoff time. And you, you, the good thing for Nichols is they have a much easier schedule on paper than a team like A&T does. They have Incarnate Word in two weeks. Well, I mean, that, they're in the same diff- boat as, as Abilene Christian, right? Which, which could be a very difficult game. But then they have Houston Baptist. They still have Stephen F. Austin on the schedule. The game against Southeastern Louisiana, though, could be intriguing. I'm surprised that game is late. That's a very tough game. That's a rivalry game. That's a, you know, a, a game that has a lot of recruiting implications as well. That's going to be a tough game. That's going to be an interesting one. Another wild game in the CAA. How many times have we said this that this <laughs> year? This was a, a marquee matchup, though. URI taking on University of Maine. Both teams have been very surprising. Uh, in, well, maybe not to us, one, one for one reason and another, um, with how good they've been this year. This game was literally a toss-up until the fourth quarter, and UMaine gets the victory 38-36 over URI. They were the lower-ranked team. They were coming in at 21. This win might get them into the top 15. Well, here's the thing. Maine needed this win more so than URI. Yes. And so Maine grabbed a quality conference win, so it serves two folds. It helps them in conference play. It helps them as far as at-large bids are concerned. And Rhode Island, you, you still have to credit their offense for fighting back. This was a back-and-forth game. It could have literally gone either way. Yep. But Maine needed this game a lot more than Rhode Island. And I think both teams are in a situation, like we've always said, they can't afford many more losses. Right. Maybe one more, and that's it. But I think both teams really have to <laughs> tighten the straps and, and, and win out um, to get both into the playoffs. They've, they've been impressive so far this season. And Maine was kind of on a slide. Yeah. And this was the game that they really stepped up, played well, got the win uh, at Rhode Island, which was a good win. Rhode Island's now become a, a, a nice atmosphere for their their home team because the crowds are packed. They're They're excited about the Rams. And this was a very good win. So I wouldn't – if I was a Rhode Island Ram, I wouldn't hang my hat losing the Maine. But if I'm a Maine Black Bear, I'm excited about, hey, we beat a great team. We had to come back. We had to fight through adversity. We got to win, a much-needed win in conference and also uh, in general. 16 fourth-quarter points for you, Maine, and a last-second field goal from Kenny Doak from 39 with the game winner. Let's get into the final upset here before we talk about our game balls. What has happened to the University of Montana? Through the first five weeks of the season, this team was winning the Big Sky. They were going on a deep playoff run. Last two weeks, I don't know if they're even making the postseason. They get crushed by North Dakota. Not North Dakota State. North Dakota, 41-14. Now, we know North Dakota's a better team than what the record says. They've had a couple of nice wins this year already. No one expected this win and not by this match magnitude. Exactly. And like you said, they have some impressive wins. They beat Sam Houston State. At Sam Houston State, here's a game at home in Alero Center. They beat Montana, and they dominated this football game. And you kind of know what North Dakota is going to do when they come into a ball game. They're going to run the ball, play good defense. They got great play from their quarterback, Ketteringham, uh, throwing for over 250 yards. So that opens up their offense. But Montana, my goodness, offensively, they've fallen off the face of the earth. Defensively, yeah. they're usually good. Uh, Josh Buss is a really good linebacker, one of the best in the FCS. But I'm shocked at how the Grizzlies have performed as of late. Yeah. They're in trouble. And you talk about a team that needs to win out. We keep saying that because that's the theme we're here at the halfway point. But Montana really needs to string together a lot of impressive victories in order to fight their way back up the big sky, but also up the 
at-large bid rankings as well. Well, with three losses and with how competitive the Big Sky has been, that's going to be real tough because their next game is, in, again, in two weeks, UC Davis, who has been incredible this season. Then they have Southern Utah, who's been disappointing but were a playoff team last year. Then they get the Idaho Vandals away, and they finish at home with Montana State. And you know there would be nothing better for Montana State, who also are looking at an at-large bid, to win the Brawl of the Wild in, week, in the final week of the season knock out the Grizz and get themselves in the postseason. So you, you talk about UC Davis. They had an impressive win this week as well against Idaho State, who's another up-and-coming team. Yeah, and another a big win for East Tennessee as well, beating the Citadel. There are so many games we could have gotten to. We had Princeton going in with their second-string quarterback, uh, Kevin Davidson, throws for four touchdowns, and they beat Brown 48-10. Colgate had what? That's their third shutout this season? Should have been four. It, like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. They allowed three in one game. I know they were just probably like, geez, we wanted that fourth th- shutout. That, that would have been they, – they were they've shut out opponents three of their last four games, and in their past five games played, they've allowed six points. How good is that, Paul? I mean, again, the parity between one – like across all divisions this year has just been incredible. Is there a reason you're seeing – is there a trend that we should be following here of like – why this is happening or is it just teams are finally catching up with the big boys and we're starting to see a shift in who the power teams are in the the FCS I think it's due to the fact that teams are recruiting at a high level yeah and we've talked about this in the in the preseason where you know the reason why you're seeing this is because everyone is on TV you don't have you're a big school you don't have that advantage anymore like hey we play on TV come play for our program if you're Florida State, you're on TV just as much as James Madison mm-hmm. locally, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't have that advantage. And if you're Virginia and you're like, okay, we're the big dog in the state, well, so is Virginia Tech. Norfolk State can say, hey, we we, we play good football. William & Mary was a, a solid program for a while. Yeah. JMU just won a national championship recently. Georgetown's so. 2-0 in conference play. And you look at Maryland with uh, Towson. You know, Towson and DC, you got DC with Georgetown. Their Division Three program at, at Catholic University is yep. pretty good as well. So, the recruiting, the country has gotten smaller. Recruiting is more. You have to be able to go outside of your your norm. No longer can a team just recruit in state. Obviously, you want to put a fence around your local area, but you have to recruit nationally. When I did the game this weekend, Delaware Howard, Delaware State Howard, you look at the rosters. Guys from California, guys from Virginia, guys from Louisiana, Texas, you know, Canadian guys for Delaware State. So you have to be able to recruit. And I think the reason why we're seeing a lot of parity, one, good coaching. You know, you get a lot of young coaches. That Coaching at the FCS level is is underrated. I believe at the FCS, D2 and D3 level, NAI level as well. Because you get the guys, you get guys in that are sort of undervalued, yep. you know, from a person – or perception standpoint because um, they're playing at a level that's not power five. So you're getting guys that are considered undervalued by, by the masses. You're developing them. They're staying five years. Your coaching staff is normally in place. You don't see a lot of turnover in the FCS as you do in the FBS. And these guys are in this program for four to five years. They're getting the same coaching. They're getting developed. And so now when they're juniors and seniors, you have an experienced bunch that's going to play competitive, mistake-free football, and that's why the games are close. That's why the games are competitive. And the talent level, as evident by the NFL draft, you know, with Carson Wentz, what, going second overall? 
yeah. the highest since Steve McNair and the amount of FCS talent that we're seeing get drafted but also infiltrate these all-star games at the East-West Shrine game, the NFLPA game, and also uh, the Senior Bowl, the talent is here. The pro talent is here. And guys that are just a notch below pro talent but a good college football players are definitely there. And you're seeing that top to bottom from across the conferences. I mean, we've seen an uptick in play in the Pioneer League. Yep. We've seen an uptick in play from Georgetown, you know, non-scholarship in the competing in the Patriot League. OVC is competitive this year. The SWAC, we've seen them get – SWAC's s- wide open. Right. It has gotten better. Uh, you know, so I think this year is proof positive that if you can play, the coaches at the collegiate level will find you. Choose your school wisely. Allow yourself to get developed and go, grow with the program, and you're seeing it. UC Davis – you know, Dan Hawkins got there last year, and look how fast he turned this program around. Kennesaw. Idaho State, Kennesaw State, you know, with the option. It has to be attractive for guys who want to go there because they run the option. They don't run the spread offense and throw the football over the yard like we've seen around college football. Yep. Idaho State with Rob Fennessy flushed in a, a bad situation last year, just getting named the head coach about, what, a, couple, a month or so before the season. Yeah. And look how quickly he's turned around the Bengals. So the talent is always in place. Guys are competitive. Guys are getting well coached. That's why I'm a big fan of what they do at the FCS level. I know that's weird to say as a former FBS player, but you got to appreciate the job that's being done at this level by coaches, by players, and and by the fans supporting their program as well. And as you said, they're getting success at the next level. You mentioned a guy like Carson Wentz. Even in special teams, Jets kicker J- uh, Jason Myers, former Marist player, had seven field goals last last this on Sunday. Seven for seven. <laughs> Like he, he put up 24 points by himself. So you don't have to be the star quarterback at whatever FCS school you're playing in. If you're good enough to be in the pros, trust me, the scouts at the NFL level will find you too. So trust the scouts get there. With that being said, let's get into our game ball segment here before we get to the break. There were too many to choose from. I have a list of like nine here. I'm hoping you're going to take a few of them. Uh, I'm going to start off, though, with Jake Meyer from UC Davis. 40 of 51, 382, five touchdowns. Incredible performance uh, for UC Davis as they continue to roll. Jake Myers having another great season. Yeah, and he's a big reason why UC Davis is is really a threat to win the Big Sky Conference. I'm going to go to a head coach and give a game ball to head coach Joe Conlon, the head football coach Mm -hmm. at Fordham. Got off the snide, got his first victory as a head coach, and did a really good job in coaching that football team up uh, this week and getting that win. And and Fordham, again, one of those teams that you were surprised that were winless, but shout-out to Coach Conlon getting the first dub and, and doing it in impressive fashion. They really dominated Lehigh. I got to give a shout-out here for a, a, a double dip, if I may, or a showdown in the Pioneer League this past week. Dayton versus San Diego. Both quarterbacks went off. Jack Cook, 29 of 40, 432, four touchdowns for Dayton in the loss. Anthony Lawrence, 28 of 42, 426, and three scores for uh, the Toreros. An incredible ball game. Both quarterbacks, though, very, very impressive. Got to give both of them the credit there. Going back to the Bronx, mm-hmm. Tim DeMore, the freshman quarterback. And this was a guy that didn't start the season. He was a guy that we spotlighted in the uh, preseason uh, in our videos about being a player to watch and I thought he was going to probably be a year down the line a red shirt this year and play but with ineffective quarterback play to start the season kind of mm-hmm. thrust the freshman into the lineup 14 to 23 299 yards two touchdowns no picks in a 43-14 victory over Lehigh so 
he played exceptionally well in helping Coach Collin get his first victory. Big win there. Uh, I got. I just want to do this one just to say the guy's name, Drew Jean Guillon of Central Connecticut State. Sounds like he should be playing in the Bayou somewhere. <laughs> Twenty-three carries, two hundred and three yards, and a touchdown for Central Connecticut State, who are we thought they were kind of you know mediocre this season. All of a sudden, conference play has started, and here come the Blue Devils. They're right there again. Um, so, shout out to uh, Jean Guillon for a great game there on the ground defensive game ball i had to give it to the southern jaguars mm-hmm. for prairie view a&m's uh 30 to nothing shellacking prairie view has run up the the yards and points on every one they've played even rice this game the southern jaguars picked off jalen morton five times four by the secondary one by a linebacker held the wanya tucker now, the Dewanya Tucker, who was leading the FCS in rushing prior to the bye week, yeah. 17 yards rushing. That's insane. And a shutout. That's insane. This looks like the Southern Jaguars defense that I grew up watching in the late 80s, early 90s. Dominant performance. And now have put themselves firmly in place to play for possibly a, a chance to go to Celebration Bowl. Although the SWAC West is complete mayhem. We'll get to that. Yeah, and you still have to get to the Bayou Classic and all that stuff like that. It's all mayhem. I got to go one more, too, because you know I love me some special teams. D'Angelo Amos, the safety punt returner for James Madison Dukes. Not one, but two punt returns for touchdowns of over 80 yards apiece, and he did both of them within a three-minute span. That is ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like, first of all, Who's coaching special? Like, the coach of special teams has got to be losing his mind. Like, like for Villanova, I mean, first of all, you got shut out, so that doesn't help either. But it's bad enough when you allow one kick return for a touchdown. To allow two within three minutes when you know damn well after the first one, he got all the guys together and say, all right, you screwed up on this. You completely screwed up this. Don't let it happen again. And it happens again. But what a job by Amos. Really, really shifty. He's... uh. Maybe gotten himself onto some draft boards for a special teams player down the road. We'll have to see there. Yeah, that, that was a big-time performance. At some point, you got to stop kicking it to him. <laughs> just, just, just squib it. Squib <laughs> a punt. I don't know if that's even possible, but squib a punt. Uh, folks, we're going to take our break here. When we come back, we, we've, we should be tr- like stopping trying to make sense of all this, but we're going to try to make sense of what's happening in the FCS conference by conference. We're at the midway point. Now's gut check time. Now we have to take a look and see who is really going to be contending who is a pretender at this point that looks like they should be good, but they're not really. we got our bigger surprises, our biggest disappointments, and then we will get into Week 8. The second half of the season beckons. We have our commercial break right now. You're listening to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. We'll be back in just a minute. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 
1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. Again, folks, you can listen back on all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes. Search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. Subscribe while you're over there. Emory always has some great content coming out from Football Game Plan. Don't forget to go to YouTube.com slash Football Game Plan for all of the videos, which we cover stuff that we do not cover here on the podcast. So if you want your full knowledge of the FCS, don't forget to go to YouTube and check out the videos there. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and at F Ball Game Plan for my man Emery. Let's get into the second half of the show. We got a lot to cover, Emery, and let's start off with our biggest surprise and disappointments. We're at the halfway mark. We're seven weeks in. A lot of teams don't only have a few weeks left to play, but you know, with bye weeks and so forth, every game is critical now. Let's talk about it. It's been a year of surprises. It's been a year of craziness. Who have you been your biggest surprises, though, from a team perspective in the FCS this season? East Tennessee State. Yeah. They have been one of the biggest surprises to me because this conference is a very good one. It's deep. And when you talk about a deep conference, you don't talk about East Tennessee State. When you talk about a SOCON, they have been the class of the SOCON. They have been the most consistent. They've won shootouts. They've won tight defensive games. They've won with special teams. This team looks like the class of the SOCON this year, and they've been – one of the biggest surprises to me. Florida A&M Rattlers. Got to be at the top of this list. Incredible season being put together. They're 5-2. and two. I mean, obviously, when you start with a win over Fort Valley State, you really don't learn that much. And then they lost to Troy. Then they lost to Jackson State, which is a pretty bad loss. They've just gone on a tear since then. They've beaten Norfolk State. They beat NC Central. They beat A&T this week. They've had an incredible season from Ryan Stanley. This is a team that needs to be reckoned with, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but a very underrated defense as well. Rattlers have been very, very good. I would also say another surprise is Campbell. Yeah, yeah. Now, we kind of expected them to be good this year because of the fact that they redshirted their entire recruiting class last year as they made the transition from non-scholarship to scholarship. Right. But my goodness, they look impressive. To say you had all those guys redshirting and now they're getting – game experience as redshirt freshmen and and sophomores they have been flat out outstanding and they look like a serious player in the big the big uh, south I'm sorry they could possibly challenge Kennesaw State that's going to be a really good game when those two teams meet up and Campbell has been uh, one of the bigger surprises in the FCS in my opinion yep and there's I mean we're going to I'm going to name one more team here and then we're going to have to move on because we have so much to cover we could name a whole bunch of teams. You could put UMaine into this list. Prairie View has had an incredible season. Colgate, I think people thought they were going to be good, not this good. But I got to throw out Towson. Yeah. No one saw Towson coming, and I, you know, I don't want to say. I, everybody's going to think that this is the thing. I don't want to say that one player changes a team, but what Tom Flacco has done with that offense, he's opened up the talent that was already there. We always knew, always knew they were a good running football team. He's added the passing element, and this Towson offense has just taken off with a wide-open offense. Biggest disappointments on the season. 
again, with wildness comes surprises. There also comes a lot of teams that you're like, wow, that, that wasn't supposed to happen. Who, who's your top disappointment right now? Austin P. Yeah. Austin P. man. Hate I came in it. with a lot of excitement about the governors. They were coming in pissed off. They didn't make the playoffs last year, and justifiably so they should have been in. But they have laid an egg this year, man. Yeah. They have been quite average. Now, granted, average is still good considering the history of Austin P. But to come off last year's excellent season to, to play mediocre football this year, kind of disappointed. I got to throw out Richmond. I mean, again, we knew there was going to be a little bit of a dip with Lawletta getting drafted by the New York Giants. Some people thought a bigger dip than others. We kind of had a little bit of a confidence that Kevin Johnson was going to come in and do a good job. They've done basically nothing. They finally got a win for the first time in three in a month when they beat Albany uh, this past week. There were the Twins against Fordham and St. Francis. They got they got crushed by Stony Brook, crushed by JMU. Delaware took them all over the field. This is a very average Richmond team, and I think we're seeing the loss of Laletta is actually bigger than I think some of us expected. Yeah, I was shocked there. I, I was big on, on Kevin Johnson coming in, but I think he's gotten benched now yeah. uh, because of ineffective play. Staying in the same conference, Villanova yeah. has been very disappointing. Now, granted, yeah. as always is the case with Villanova, injuries. Yeah. Once Big Narzik went down with an injury, they they really don't have much at quarterback. He is the the key cog in that offense. Yeah. It looked like they can't play offense now. I don't know if Villanova has an athletic training program, but if they don't, they should start one. Just get a whole <laughs> bunch of guys in there, get as many students on that field as you can to try to figure out how to prevent injuries. That would be yes. a good thing. <laughs> See, if they have been I've been unimpressed with, with Villanova. Outside of the win at Temple, they look so dominant. I was ready to put on the Villanova to the national championship hat mm-hmm. because they dominated Temple, but now they just look flat out unimpressive. I would also throw in Lehigh too. Yeah, I would throw in Idaho into that ring as well. We thought Vandals coming down from FBS would kind of have a leg up in the big sky. They've looked very pedestrian, very, very pedestrian. And if we're basing it just on the first half performance, Furman and Samford. Bingo. Now, they've both picked it up very nicely in the last couple of weeks. But for the first half of the season, I mean, Samford, I mean, again, I predicted them to not only <laughs> go undefeated in the conference like an idiot, I expected them, uh, Devlin Hodges to win uh, the most valuable player award, which he still might. They're still number one in all in passing yards in FCS. They've looked much better the last couple of weeks against Western Carolina VMI. Some of these other games, though, meh. I'm gonna need for him to stop throwing picks, though. Yeah, that that that'll. He's throwing seven touchdowns and six touchdowns. I get it, but he's having multiple interception games. He's got 12 picks. He had 11 all of last season. See, so that's not that's not looking good. So we'll see what happens. I there. would throw A and T as well in the yeah. mix. And this is coming off a very impressive week. Even in their week one win, a week zero win against Jacksonville State. They didn't look impressive to us. Bingo. It was sloppy. And even in their victory against East Carolina, very sloppy. Yeah. And that sloppiness has gotten them beaten twice in conference, which was unheard of to think of coming into the season. So yeah. they've been a bit disappointed. Coming off an undefeated season too. All right, let's get into this, Emory. It's like the preview show all over again. Let's go conference by conference, and let's try to figure out what the hell is going on. We're going to start with the big sky. UC Davis having an incredible season. They're 5-1, and 3-0. and Eastern Washington, obviously they laid an egg this week. They're at 3-1. and They're going to be playing a little catch-up. Behind them, it is wide open. You have five teams at 2-1, and including ranked teams like Weber State, Montana, who will be dropped from the rankings. 
Montana State's a two and one. Idaho State's there, and Northern Arizona, who's had, through their injury problems, are two and one in conference play. What in the hell is going on in the Big Sky? I have absolutely no clue, but <laughs> I am shocked that UC Davis has made this big of a come up this year. Team I had thought was going to be a sleeper in this conference, Sacramento State. Obviously, they dealt with a lot of injuries this year, so they yeah. they are sitting at two and four in the season. But how about Portland State? Yeah, two losses in conference play they've won two in a row and when you win games in a row in college football you're building confidence starting yeah. to believe they are still in play for this conference so somehow so, shout out to the vikings for for making it making a run but we i was i was expecting northern arizona to be the the leader by this point yep but when you lose a quarterback of the caliber of of case cookers you kind of you kind of drop off a little bit their defense hasn't been as effective because their their offense can't sustain drives and put points up on the board and put a team in a one dimensional situation, but shocked that Eastern Washington is is this I, even though I had Eastern Washington finishing second, um, UC Davis and Idaho State being this high is is still shocking to me. I mean, all credit to UC Davis. I I, I liked what I saw for them in the in the preseason, but remember I said they have to find a way to win without it just being mired to Doss. Right. And they have done that, and they've done that beautifully. They've got an incredible offense. It's diverse. It's wide open. And what it's doing now, it's opening up Doss later in, later on in games. He had 13 catches this past week. So UC Davis, that's a force to be reckoned with in the postseason. Let's move to the Big South. Last year, it was Kennesaw versus Monmouth. We knew Kennesaw was going to be the dominant force. Not many people gave Campbell a shot. We both said they could have a pretty good year. We didn't think it was going to be this good at 5-1. and one. They still haven't played a conference game. Kennesaw is 2-0 in conference. Campbell and Monmouth, Monmouth is pretty much a, they have to win out at this point. Neither of them have played a conference game yet. Is anybody going to challenge Kennesaw, though? Are either of those two teams going to even force their hand? That's going to be the interesting part because Campbell has a look of a team that can they can do it because they play great defense. They play yeah. great team defense, yep. got a lot of athleticism. Monmouth has the X factor in Reggie White Jr., the receiver, that's just phenomenal, that's breaking records every week. But their defense is questionable to me. So I think it will have to come down to Campbell – taking out Kennesaw and the good part about that is we get Campbell versus Monmouth this week this is their first conference game. game it's going to be along the Jersey Shore beautiful stadium their their renovated stadium is phenomenal so that's going to be a huge game this week and one that you're going to see on our FCS kickoff preview videos but it's kind of playing out how we thought it would yeah you know with, with probably swapping two and three yeah uh, with Campbell and Monmouth but you kind of figured Monmouth would be you know, in the mix, or Campbell would be better, and they are, and they're they're playing outstanding. So, this one is kind of shaping out like we kind of thought it would. It's one of the few conferences that actually is that's looking right. Like that's it making be. sense. Because let's look at the CAA right now. If you had told me at the midway point that Towson and Maine would be one-two, both at three and zero in conference play at week seven, you would have said what? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Ask the question again. <laughs> if, if I had told you if Towson and Maine were going to be one-two at the midway mark, would would you have even said anything to me, or would it just punched me in the face? I would have like you crazy because <laughs> you got JMU, you got Villanova, and Delaware, going, Delaware, New Hampshire should be better this year. And no. Meanwhile, Stony Brook's over. Like hi, exactly. <laughs> Rhode Island is there, and I would have been all on Rhode Island. I would have been. I would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were there. all it. <laughs> You were drinking that a little bit too much. But New Hampshire, obviously, they had injury problems. They're 1-5 in five after losing this week. But this, I mean, you've still got seven teams that can win the CAA. 
you could easily say that all seven teams deserve a place in the playoffs at this point. Elon's right. good. Delaware is coming up. Rhode Island's been fantastic. Stony Brook might be the best overall team of the whole conference, and they're sitting fourth. They're five and two. So CAA, where does it go from here? Does JMU like do they figure things out now from here on in and kind of work their way back up, or is it is it is it Towson and Maine's destiny to fight this thing out to the end? Yeah, I mean when you look at this conference, man, and you look at the middle part of the conference when you have Elon. Delaware, Richmond, those teams, if you flip the, the, the standings upside down, it probably makes a little <laughs> bit more sense. Even Albany was on the cusp of playoff, yeah, you know, playoff a playoff berth last year, didn't get in. They're struggling. New Hampshire's struggling. We know the reasons why. Villanova's at the bottom, winless in conference. Uh, all four of their losses have come in conference. So this one is going to be this year's version of the Missouri Valley Conference where mm-hmm. you're going to see multiple teams get in. Um, and justifiably so. It'll be hard-pressed to, to keep Towson, Maine, James Madison, Stoney, Rhode Island out of the playoffs, even Elon, uh, if they can continue to, to, to win. So, and quietly, Delaware is 4-2. Quietly. Quietly. Seems like the- Delaware has been, <laughs> has played a lot of games and they've been 1-7, but Delaware at 4-2 and two is still yeah. the fly in the ointment in the CAA. Yeah, by the way, Towson at home against Maine on November 3rd is turning into an incredibly massive game down the stretch. Let's talk about the Ivy League. We knew Princeton and Dartmouth were going to be up there. We thought maybe Yale would be competitive. They're still right there, but they haven't looked as good. But Princeton and Dartmouth, I mean, these are two teams that nobody wants to face. They're very thankful they're in the Ivy and they don't make the postseason. They're both still undefeated. This is incredible. This was one of my biggest surprises, Princeton's offense. Oh. I knew they would be good, but my goodness, when you look at the points that they've scored, 260 points, they are 70 points better than Dartmouth. They've allowed 43. That's the other quiet. 43? Their defense, they have been good on both ends of the ball, on both sides of the ball. Princeton looks like a top 15 team in the FCS. Yeah. Dartmouth defensively is right up there with Colgate. And Dartmouth offensively is doing it with their ground game. Yeah, Their quarterbacks can run. Their running backs can run. They're shutting you down defensively. When they play each other in November, that's going to be the game of the Ivy League. And I was shocked that Dartmouth was going to be this high. I yeah. knew Princeton would be in the mix. I thought Yale would have a, have a say in Columbia. But it's kind of been a two-team race. And shout-out to Yale getting a, a good victory last week against Mercer. Yeah, yeah, very big win. Yeah, that was a big win, um, considering they came off of getting beat down by Dartmouth. So it's a two-team race, I believe, in the Ivy League, and I can't wait to see great offense go up against great defense and vice versa because at some point you got to give Dartmouth credit for dominating on offense because their offense is just as good. Yeah. So it's just going to be a great game. That should be a nationally televised game, Dartmouth and Princeton, if they continue to win out. Princeton is top 10 in every major defensive category except field goals allowed. They're 14th. They're second in yards, second in passing yards, fourth in rushing yards, second in points per game. They haven't allowed more than 10 in any game this season, which is ridiculous to think about. So very interesting to watch there. Before we get into our next conference, let's talk about the three independent teams, too. We don't want to leave them out. North Dakota's at 4-2. and two. North Alabama's 4-3. and three. Hampton's at 3-3 three and three now. Which of the three teams has been most impressive so far this North season? North Alabama. 
You yeah. move up from D2 to play D1 ball, and you you got out the gates with a great win against Southern Utah, and you played some some solid football so far this season. So their 4-3 and three start to me is impressive. North Dakota is playing North Dakota football in Hampton, and we – we, we joked <laughs> about their their scheduling, um, yeah. but at least they're out there competing and they're playing 500 ball. Once they get in in conference play in uh, next year in the Big South, then they'll start to have some normalcy. This is a weird year for them, but I've been most impressed with North Alabama in their first year as an FCS. Nice win, by the way, for Hampton against Presbyterian this past week. Uh, and in two weeks they have that big game, or three weeks they have that big game against Sony, SUNY Maritime. So up here in Kings Point, <laughs> so that I can't wait. That's going to be a wild game. Let's move into the MEAC. Talk about a conference that's been turned on its head. Florida A and M, as we said, they have turned into the runaway. They're four zero in conference play already. They're five and two overall, but they got three teams right behind them: A and T, who they've beaten; Howard, who they don't have to play, by the way; and Bethune Cookman is very quietly had a very solid season at two and one got teams like Central and North and Norfolk State at 1-1 one one in conference play. It's still anybody's fight in the MEAC. That's the other part of the impressive thing about this, the fact that it's still competitive. You know, even you look down to Morgan State 2-1, and one, and some of these conference uh, standings are not as official because I think a few of the games are not counting toward conference play. Right, Like yeah. Savannah State or yeah. you know, one of the games, the crossover games is not counting. So, we don't know the official standings. We have to check the MEAC's uh, website for that. But the fact that all teams are competitive in this in this league and you have to start to seriously consider Florida, A&M, Howard, even Norfolk State, who took a tough loss this week, uh, you have to consider those teams. I think that's making this thing very – I knew Norfolk State would be a surprise team. That I said in the preseason. Right. I wasn't as high on Florida A&M. We thought they, they were on their way. Yeah, we, maybe a year maybe away. two years away, yeah. Right. Howard's defense was the biggest question for me, and they've played a lot better defensively uh, this season, which is why they are having a lot of success. But A&T, to me, has been the biggest disappointment, along with North Carolina Central, quite honestly. Let's move on to the Missouri Valley, and it's been North Dakota State doing what they do best. After them, though, Lord knows what's going on. You've got four, you got five teams at 2-1, and one, some you would expect. South Dakota, Illinois State, South Dakota State, but who had Missouri State at two and one in conference play at at week? Nobody. Seven? That is compl- and and at not just two and one in conference. They're four and two overall. Where again? We talked about this before. You could easily make an argument to say that every at large bid for the FCS playoffs could be Missouri Valley or CAA. You could easily make this argument. There's so many good teams. Somebody's going to be left out in the cold. Yeah, and that, that this conference here, man. I mean, South Dakota as weird as their season has been yeah they're two and one in conference i thought they would be second place yeah behind north dakota state they're right along that line um but the shock to me this year has been the redbirds they've been outstanding they've been outstanding they had a slip up a week ago but they are still the dominant team outside of north dakota state because of their defense south dakota state quietly is still a very good football team i thought they would finish about third or fourth um, South Dakota State, you mean? South Dakota State, yeah. But North Dakota State is still the class in in the conference. They, you know, there's nothing much more you can say. But also credit Indiana State for getting off the Schneid this year, winning two games and look competitive in all their games. Yeah. Um, Jaquan Keys, the running back, is outstanding. Youngstown State has been a disappointment starting off the season with the loss of Butler, but they also had a lot of injuries in preseason, yeah. which kind of fed into that. But 
Northern Iowa quietly having a two and one season in conference play. Even Eli Dunn balled out last week. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So shout out to him and Missouri State, like you mentioned. I mean, where, how? Four and two, two and one in conference. <laughs> Here are the Bears against against every every right. bit of logic. Let's move on to the NEC again. The question was going to be: Is this the year that Bryant breaks through? How good would Central Connecticut be again? Is Duquesne there? But the, the real team that's been a surprise is Sacred Heart. They're 1-0. Central Connecticut State is 2-0. Bryant's 2-1. Duquesne and even Wagner are right there in contention. Again, it's still wide open in the NEC. Yeah, and when you look at the NEC, you know, I think people knew Bryant would be in the mix, knew Duquesne would be in the mix. Wagner, I, I'm a little di- disappointed in yeah, um, because they have talent on both sides of the ball. Central Connecticut State, I was shocked because – with the losses they had on defense, yeah, I was like, okay, this team may take a step back. But like you said, once they got in conference, they were undefeated. They looked dominant. Yeah. You know, they're running the football. Dolagala is a great passer. And you can kind of be disappointed in Duquesne. You know, I was at that main – I mean, that UMass game earlier in the season, mm-hmm. and, you know, it just didn't look right. And St. Francis has been a bit disappointing. Um, I know they have a great quarterback and great receiver, but they just haven't been dominant on defense like we've seen them before. Um, but they are still a good football team, and they're going to be there flying the ointment throughout the rest. This is a conference, unlike the Missouri Valley or the OVC, there's no real one team that's kind of the class of that division at this point. Speaking of the OVC, this one's weird too, because Jacksonville State, you expect. Top 10 team pretty much every year. They had a tough loss to A&T, but they've bounded back nicely. 4-0 in conference. But Murray State sitting at 3-0 in conference play. They're 3-3 overall, but 3-0. Eastern Kentucky and Southeast Missouri State sitting at 2-1 and one apiece. OVC, again, if Murray State can pull off an upset against Jacksonville State or Jacksonville State stumbles somewhere else along the line, this is another conference that's wide open. Man, listen. <laughs> Here's what I thought going in. It's a two-team race. Austin, Austin P. P. Jacksonville yeah. State. I was on the Eastern Kentucky bandwagon Yeah, saying that this team is going to be a, a team to watch, surprise team. Murray State out of nowhere. 3 and 0 in conference. Where did that come from? They got the transfer coming in from Buffalo, University of Buffalo and Drew Anderson, who's also on the senior bowl watch list who's playing well. Had a great game last weekend. Southeast Missouri State is playing good football. They <laughs> always seem to be competitive. Tennessee State has been in every ball game yeah. and then they find ways to either win or lose. And right. so they they're kind of hovering around the mediocre point. Um I, that that's been it. I've been shocked at how good Murray State has been how competitive Southeast Missouri State has been, kind of disappointed in the Tennessee State and also in Austin Peay because Austin Peay yeah. was supposed to be challenging Jacksonville State, and right now they're 1-3 in conference. Jacksonville State's next two game by, games, by the way, both on the road, Southeast Missouri State, Murray State next two weeks. Huge, huge for the Gamecocks. Let's move into the Patriot League. Talk about, I mean, this one is kind of following form. It's a team that's in second place that's more, uh, you know, Colgate is by far and away the class of this division, maybe the class of the Northeast in general. But Georgetown, sitting 2-0 and in conference play, very quietly is having a decent year in conference. Defense. Yeah. What Georgetown has always had has been defense and special teams. Their offense is still trying to find its way. So right now they're still winning with defense and special teams. Um, so they have been impressive. They have a big game this week against Lehigh, who – in my opinion, has been disappointing, not on defense, because we know Lehigh's defense, yeah. Offensively, they can't put the ball in the end zone. Lafayette, I'm a little disappointed in. I thought they'd be better. Yeah. You know, the Columbia route going 
playing a lot of freshmen in second yeah. year. They'll be much more experienced. They're still making simple mistakes. Holy Cross is a little bit disappointing, but new coach, new coach expected. Uh, Bucknell's offense has been hit or miss, but defensively they have been bad, which is not good for Bucknell. Yep. Um, I thought this would be Colgate, you know, maybe Holy Cross surprising, finishing second, Lehigh somewhere in the mix, Georgetown. I'm excited to get down to the game this weekend yep. um, because that Georgetown-Lehigh game, if they win that game against Lehigh and go to 3-0 and in a Patriot League and even their record to 4-4, four and four, that's a huge deal for Georgetown. Speaking of a, a, a weird stat here. Georgetown in their first two conference games have allowed 17 points. Colgate in all six of their games have allowed 23. Again, you want to talk about good Colgate's defenses? There you go right there. Let's move to the Pioneer League. Talk about a a conference that's been turned on its head. San Diego, dominant. We expected that. Marist, Drake, and Stetson at 2-1? What? (laughs) Especially Stetson at 4-1 right now. No one had them anywhere near the top half of of the standings. Never mind in second place. I've been surprised by the entire Pioneer League. <laughs> Dayton and Davidson are right there. Because San Diego, you kind of figure, okay, they're the class. They'll be near the top or if not at the top. Stetson, very impressed this year. Way to turn around that program and, you know, win some some crucial games in conference. They're 2-1 and one in conference, 4-1 and one overall. Drake are kind of expected to be at the top. They had great quarterback play. Yeah. They were good last year. Didn't expect to see this from Maris. Didn't expect to see this from Davidson. Although their offense is making me look like a genius. They're, <laughs> they're killing on the offensive side. Defensively, they're giving up a lot of points. Um, Valpo is kind of disappointing to me. I but, thought they'd be yeah. must improve. Butler, after a win against Youngstown, have fallen off the face of they the earth. They shut down the rest of the season. Like, we beat Youngstown State. We're, we're done. Good. <laughs> yep. Jacksonville, the running game hasn't been as dominant as it was last year. So I'm shocked to see them. Uh, at 0-3 in conference, but Moorhead State has played some solid football this year, too. So, been been impressed by the Pioneer League, the depth this year. Davidson still has a play. I believe Drake and Stetson. Stetson now still has a, a huge chance to, to, you know, make something happen, but they lost that game in, in a worse way to San Diego. So, San Diego still has a clear path to the automatic bid in the FCS playoffs. Move on to the SoCon. Talk about a shocking team at the top of the standings at the halfway point. Who had East Tennessee State at undefeated at 4-0? Ahead of Wofford, you still have Mercer and Furman at 2-1 despite their slow starts of the season. Chattanooga is still in the mix. Sanford, we know what they can do on offense. They still have an outside shot. SoCon's wide open, but East Tennessee State has been outstanding. Yeah, Wofford, <laughs> to me, was a class. And I thought Furman was, was going to win the, the conference. Chattanooga, I'm glad to see those guys improve and get back on the winning yep. track. Been a little bit disappointed in Western Carolina. Mercer is still hanging around. And I've been a Mercer fan for the past three seasons. But they've always hovered around this yeah, on the cusp. Ha- yeah, yeah right? you know, you kind of want the them. They, they had to knock off Yale last week. That was a huge loss for them. But they're still 2-1 in one conference. They have a lot of football left. East Tennessee State, to me, is the story of the SoCon and and one of the stories of the FCS. See, Mercer, for me, that's the boyfriend that always like gets into relationships but is afraid of commitment. Right. So they're, they're like they're in there for about three or four months, and they're like, we have to decide where this is going. I'm then gone. It, I'm, done. Right. I'm done. So hopefully. That's a, good, that's a good analogy. Mercer, make a decision. Commit. Commit to winning. That's all I can say. Let's move to the Southland. Another one that is been topsy-turvy, especially with Nichols losing this past week. McNeese, we expected to be good. They're 5-1. and one. They've been outstanding. Central Arkansas, I think, better than expected, um, considering where they were last year. Sam Houston struggled early on. They're up there. But who saw Incarnate Ward at 3-1? and one? 
I didn't see them going anywhere near that this season. Right. And, again, new coaching staff, but I I, I thought uh, when you look at defensively where they they just stunk last year, yeah. Um, yeah. that's where they've gotten better, especially yeah. in the secondary. And they're, they're a little bit more dynamic on offense. McNeese was my McNeese and Nichols were my two picks. Yeah, I was all in on McNeese and Nichols. Um, I'm still all in on McNeese. Nichols is, has been kind of up and down this year, but Abilene was a surprise to me, and they're they're playing surprising football. So has Northwestern State. I'm a little bit shocked that Stephen F. Austin being this bad. Yeah, not on defense, on offense because they're like the Lehigh of the Southland. Right. <laughs> so you expect their offense to be somewhere near the top. But Central Arkansas has really been a surprise to me. Yeah. I thought with all of the losses, head coach turmoil, all that stuff going on, that they would kind of take a step back with their 4-2, and 3-1 in conference and one of the top teams, honestly, in the FCS. So, and shout out to Sam Houston State. Yeah. Quarterback issues with there, and now they go to Brock, and Brock has been outstanding. So. Right. And it's quietly, Southeastern Louisiana, 3-2 and two in conference play. Losing their coach the way they did uh, Rod uh, Ron Roberts to my Louisiana Raging Cajuns to be the defensive coordinator and to get Selfo was a good hire and Selfo has quickly carried on that 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 whole uh, mantra of I'm gonna win with my offense and defense has been opportunistic yeah. but their offense has been a big story and I, I just have been thoroughly impressed with the competitiveness this year of the Southland now like I've said before McNeese they've won a lot of close games. They're flirting. They're flirting with one. Mm-hmm. Now, they lost to BYU. Think about this. They scored 132 points this year, and they've given up 119. So they're And granted, one of those was a big loss to BYU, but mm-hmm. they, they, their defense is excellent. Their offense can be inconsistent within the game. Like, they right. go through droughts, and they can't have that happen if they want to continue on this pace. But they're on an impressive run right now. I'm still all in on uh, Coach um, – Gidry, Lance Gidry, and yep. his McNeese State Cowboys. One last conference to talk about the SWAC, and we thought this was going to be a more wide-open conference this year. We didn't think it was going to be this wide open. Let's talk about the East. Alcorn, 3-1. and one. They've already had a slip-up. They've been escaping, though, in a couple of games. Who had Jackson State at 2-1 and 3-2 and, and two overall? Alabama A&M is at 2-2. Two and two. They've been good. Alabama State's at 500 in conference play. The SWAC East on its own is crazy, but then you look at the SWAC West. Southern Prairie View, Grambling, all two and one. Absolutely nuts. Prairie View, if they had a, their normal game, probably beat Southern this past week. They were off, they get shut out, and now they have to rely on Grambling being Southern in, in the Classic to get into the into the SWAC title game. It's absolutely crazy in the SWAC. <laughs> He's at a loss for words. This is the first. <laughs> when we were talking about the SWAC <laughs> in, the, in the summer, and we talked about Jackson State. We were all excited about Tony Hughes, the head coach, bringing in Hal Mummy, the yeah. offensive coordinator. Yes, that is true. Hal Mummy has already resigned. Yeah. <laughs> and then we see Jackson State go to two-game winning streak. Yeah. <laughs> so Hal Mummy probably was the problem. And now when you look at Jackson State, like, wait a minute. There's no APR penalties. If they can stay on this run. Yeah. They could be in the East Championship game. Did not see that coming from Jackson State. I thought they would finish right above Valley in the East. Alabama A&M is doing it right as as what I expected. Yep. I expected Alabama State to actually be second. I was all in on their defense. 
I thought they were going to be a lot better than what they were. They have been struggling on defense. Alabama A&M's defense has been actually impressive. Alcorn has been exactly what I expected. They can run the ball, and they dominate you on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yes. In the West, <laughs> I knew Grambling was going to take a step back. Yeah. We couldn't find offensive weapons for Grambling. No, no. Did not know Prairie View would be this good. No. I knew they were going to be good uh, because they had talent left over. They were good last year, but, man, they started the season with a bang. Their defense has been the reason why they've been let down a lot in these games, which has opened the door for the Southern Jaguars to have now found their defense and found some continuity on offense. So I know I said if, if FAMU and Southern makes the Celebration Bowl, 40000 will be enough. If Jackson State and FAMU makes the Celebration Bowl, that won't be. Jackson State plays in the 60,000-seat stadium, uh, Memorial Stadium in Jackson, Mississippi. They have no – they travel well. Southern travels travels well. If they find a way to get into the Celebration Bowl, this will be the highest attended bowl game outside of the the, the group of six bowls in the playoffs. Jeez, it's going to be crazy, folks. Let's get into this quickly. Let's talk about, let's talk about uh, our Telling Trap Unsung and Best Games of the Week. Again, there are so many to choose from here. Telling Games this week, Sacred Heart against Central Connecticut, URI against Stony Brook. Big one, but my biggest one is Campbell versus Monmouth. We said it. This is going to determine who is going to challenge Kennesaw, truly challenge Kennesaw in the Big South. Trap games this week, South Dakota State travels to Northern Iowa. Again, critical game for both. And McNeese, you mentioned it, they got Incarnate Word on the road. If Incarnate Word puts up their offensive numbers like they have been this season, McNeese could be in big, big trouble in this one. I need it for Incarnate Word to not lose last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's like they're, this game now is is warm beer to me. Imagine being a 4-0 and Incarnate Word going into this game. That would have been just ridiculous. That would have been ridiculous. But now, it's like I said, it's warm beer. It's kind of like, eh. eh. It's alcohol, but it's warm. But, yeah, eh, eh. It'll, it'll do. Yeah, it's But <laughs> you're right. That's a big one. That Campbell-Monmouth game. I'm surprised that's not the stats FCS game of the week. But I'm also am not upset that it's not because the stats FCS game of the week is Illinois State and North Dakota State. Yeah, and we'll get to that one definitely in a second. The unsung games this week, Jacksonville State at Southeast Missouri, critical game, East Tennessee at Wofford, huge game, very unsung game, Yale at Penn. Again, stumbling block perhaps for Yale there. And then the best games of the week, Grambling at Alcorn, huge game. Huge game. Massive game there. Uh, URI at Stony Brook. Very, very, very big game there. I got to give a shout-out to the Military Classic of the South, Citadel at VMI. Got to give a shout-out for that one. But the best game of the week, you said it, the FCS Stats game of the week, Illinois State at North Dakota State. That could be a real challenge for the Bison in the Dome. I need it for Illinois State to not lose. <laughs> this is a recording. Right. Like, why, <laughs> why do teams have to blow up the matchups, man? Like, you know. Uh, but they got back on track last week. Yeah. And it makes this game very important. Grambling and Alcorn is going to be huge because we saw Grambling and Alcorn play in the SWAC title game last year yeah. uh, and uh, the year before, too. So it, It's crazy, too, because here's the thing. If Grambling wins, that opens up the door. That puts Jackson State, if they win this week, at the top of the SWAC East. But it also means Grambling would jump ahead of Prairie View for the time being if – it, it, it's it's a whole bunch of permutations that are just in the swag. It's just ridiculous. But here's the thing with Grambling. They mm-hmm. have APR issues. That is true. So all they're doing now is playing spoiler. Mm-hmm. 
and they're going to spoil as many people as they The ultimate can. spoiler would be if the, they beat Southern. If they, yeah, beat, that's where I was going with it. If they beat Southern in Allcorn this season, and Grambling's going to be the def- Grambling's going to get those rings printed up like uh, <laughs> like UCF. Yes, yeah, exactly. we're the swag champs. <laughs> oh my god, oh that, that's going to be just ridiculous. Let's get into some of the week eight other games here. Again, the the disappointments of the SoCon facing off this week, Sanford at Furman, but both teams still very much in contention, especially the Furman Paladins. What do you got in this game, Emory? You talk about telling game. This is a telling game. Yeah, it is. Can Sanford continue to overcome interceptions? Mm-hmm. Can Furman stack back-to-back weeks of good play? That's the that's this game, in my opinion. It's going to be a crazy one. Murray State at Eastern Kentucky. Again, very under-the-radar game, but a crucial one in the OVC. My sleeper team versus the team I'm most impressed with in Eastern Kentucky versus Murray State. Murray State, Drew Anderson, they've wanted this this type of play from the quarterback position when they brought him in as the as the, the QB transfer from Buffalo. They expected this. They got this last week from him. Again, same thing I'm going to say for him. I'm gonna, I said for Furman, can he stack back-to-back good weeks? If he can, Murray State can go 4-0 uh, in, in conference play. Could be huge. Texas Southern at Southern in the SWAC. With the way the SWAC has gone this year, should we just say it? Texas Southern wins? It might, we might as well at this point. But, it's again, this is a game you can't sleep on if you're the Southern Jaguars. How do you handle success? Mm-hmm. We've seen teams come off a big win and lay an egg. We just talked all about, year. All year. We talked about <laughs> incarnate word. We talked about teams like laying eggs after big wins. Elon. Elon. Northwestern State laid one against Southeastern Louisiana. Nichols. Nichols. Weber. Easter uh, Washington. We can go on and on. Like teams have laid eggs. <laughs> So if you're the Southern Jaguars and Coach Dawson Odoms is a great guy, great coach, I know for a fact that he is in his team's stash right now letting them know that Texas Southern, despite their winless conference record and 1-5 record overall, are not a team to be slept on. But they have to make sure they are. They start this game when the game starts. And that started at halftime. We should start making Western omelets with all these eggs that are being laid around. <laughs> oh, my God. Just, right. Just, just start a whole – just start the omelet line the at the Protein diet over here. Delaware at UNH. Talk Again, two teams that really are saying what could have been. We know what UNH has gone through with the injury problems with Trevor Knight. They got the win two weeks ago. They lost again this week. They're pretty much done. Now they're playing spoiler for the CAA, and they got Delaware this week. Yeah, and that's going to be another key game. Can Delaware – be consistent for two weeks in a row. Nope. <laughs> you know, well, maybe. Hopefully. Know. And UNH, again, they laid the egg last week because we expected them to go on a run, but they ran uh-huh. to a buzzsaw. Delaware has a chance to put a team like New Hampshire away. Can they do that? And and New Hampshire can do the exact same thing. If Delaware drops to 2-2 two and two and 4-3 and three overall, that could be it for the Blue Hens. Sam Houston State at Lamar. Again, shouldn't be a problem for Sam Houston. But you never know with the way this season has gone. Lamar could be the team that comes up and bites him. Lamar is <laughs> Lamar played some good football. They they nearly pulled off a shocker a couple of weeks ago. They pulled off one last week, I believe. Um, so Lam- yeah, they got to win against Incarnate Word. Bingo. So <laughs> somehow that's why this one is interesting. But Sam Houston State has been impressive. I think they can take care of business in Beaumont, Texas. I would definitely agree there. South Dakota at Youngstown State again. Good teams can now become spoilers, and Youngstown, Youngstown State is one of those teams against South Dakota. Good in conference, mediocre overall. They get one more loss in conference play. That might be it for South Dakota. What do you see from the Penguins? I want to see a complete game from, from Youngstown State. You know, Youngstown State, proud program, been doing a lot of great things. Can they, can they 
put together a complete performance and get a, a, an upset, essentially, against South Dakota. That's what I'm going to be looking for. It's going to be very interesting. Another game in the SOCON, Northwestern State at Central Arkansas. Again, shouldn't be a problem, but Northwestern State has quietly put up some big offensive numbers. Central, Central Arkansas has to be careful here. Bingo. <laughs> we talk about teams being inconsistent and, and laying eggs. Their offense of Northwestern State can score. Um, defensively, it's going to be a challenge. And offensively, it's going to be a challenge because Central Arkansas is really good. But this game still has a lot of intrigue. It has intrigue. It has a lot of purple. But it definitely has a lot of intrigue. Right. So be interested to see what the Demons can do against the Bears. Interesting one here. South Sacramento State hosting North Dakota. Now, again, North Dakota is an independent. The odds of them making the postseason are very, very slim, but they're still 4-2. They've got wins now over Montana. they got a win over Sam Houston. If they run the table, they have a shot. they got a lot of hurdles in their way, and the first one comes this week on the road. They can't lose to Sacramento State, who's primed for an upset here. But North Dakota, like you said, we saw a team go 9-2 last year and not make the playoffs. And the fact that they don't, they don't have conference affiliation right. makes it tough, but that they're playing essentially a big sky schedule. Right. So if they can continue to stockpile wins against a quality conference, it, it's hard to leave them out. But they can't slip up against a team like Sacramento State. They've got two wins against ranked opponents right. this year already, and they still have Weaver to play in two weeks. There you go. So if they get three ranked wins and they run the table— I mean, again, well, we've seen before, right? We yeah. this not work out for teams. It probably wouldn't matter anyway. But shout anyway. out to Austin P and McNeese. <laughs> yeah, McNeese is making sure that's not happening again. Shout out to Craig Haley because somehow it's his fault too. Of course it is. Last game of the preview here before we get to the video. And if you want to watch the videos, that's where you get all the previews. We got a lot of games. games this week on on the video previews. It's, it's a crazy week this week, folks. Western Illinois at Missouri State again. How is Missouri State doing this? We don't every stats every stats guy right now is losing their mind because according to the stats, Missouri State should be like winless at this point. They're still in contention in the Missouri Valley. What happens this week against Western Illinois? How is Western Illinois this low? They're not a bad football team. Bingo. Because, again, we talked about this before. They got the passing game with McGuire. McShane, the running back, is a good back. But they are inconsistent. This is a game where Missouri State has to play a perfect game. Because Western Illinois can beat you in any type of way. This is one that's going to be a telling game. Watch Missouri State somehow run the table by like winning by like two points. You know what the, the problem with Missouri State is now? Houston stopped throwing picks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's no more. The first few weeks we can excuse it. This week, wait a minute. Hold on. Maybe they're. He started protecting the ball and they started losing. Like, no. <laughs> start throwing picks again. That's when Missouri State was at its best. It, it may. It, it makes no sense. Missouri. And I'm joking. I'm Obviously, I'm joking. But shout out to Pey- Peyton Huslick for improving, you know, protecting the football. But it seems like when he stopped throwing picks, they had to, they lost that game. Missouri State is the microcosm of the entire FCS. <laughs> Nothing makes sense anymore. Emory, you've got a very busy week ahead, as you said. Where are you going to be coming up this weekend? Wow. I'll be at Yale and Penn scouting that game. Uh, shout out to the Penn Quakers and Yale Bulldogs. I've, I've been to both. Um, can't wait to see those two teams play. That's a very underrated game like you brought up before. And I'll be on the broadcast. Breaking history. Only once in history has this been done before. Oh. Where you have a broad, a color analyst doing two different games, same day, two different networks, two different cities. The first time it was done was two years ago when I did it. <laughs> 
So he says, dude, no, no, no. I'm breaking my own record. The, the blue check mark does things to people, folks. Don't get on Twitter and get the blue check mark. So what are you going to be doing for the, to break this record for the second time? Two o'clock Saturday, I'll be the color analyst along with my guy, Mike Niebrick, former Fordham Ram quarterback, and Jeremy Huber, who played D-line at Hampton Sydney. Um, ah. So we'll be doing a Georgetown Lehigh broadcast at 2 p.m. in Washington, D.C., and I'll leave that game and go up to Baltimore to be on the broadcast with my guy, Phil Shaner, the um, uh, play-by-play guy, sideline reporter Jeff Jazeski. He, he does a great job as well. And we'll do the Morgan State-Howard game, which now is a big game. It's a huge game. And it's a huge game. You better hope there's no traffic on the beltway. Otherwise. Here's what you don't understand. <laughs> Last week when I did Georgetown – I'm sorry, when I did the Howard game and I left the game, when I got on 95, it was 448. By the time I got to the exit, Moravia, uh, Moravia uh, Road in Baltimore, which is the road that takes you right into the, the stadium – for for Morgan State, it was five, seven, five, twelve. So, in other words, you're breaking every law possible to get through the traffic. Traffic, and and this was that that time. This was the time you expect to to see some some maybe some some mid Saturday traffic, but it was a good it was a good ride. The last the last time I did it, <laughs> um, two years ago, I got uh, the game. It was Georgetown Columbia, okay, and Georgetown was dominating the whole game. Columbia made a comeback, threatened to tie the damn ball game, <laughs> and I'm sitting there sweating. And they they stopped Georgetown on offense. Georgetown punts the football, and our favorite uh, Columbia player, who's hurt this year out with with an ACL injury, Josh Wainwright, who was killing Georgetown all game long, drops the punt. Georgetown recovers it, runs out the clock. Game ends. Just did the post game, got to the press box, headset on. In, in at Morgan State at six thirty, absolutely. I'm Game like, kicked off at seven. The dude's incredible, folks. What can I say? I, it, it, this is what we aspire to be. But if I do two games doing play by play, that outdoes you in one day. Just saying. If I do two play by play games on the same day, then I've outdone you because play by play is higher than color analyst. You know that. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just saying, it's higher than color analyst. That's all I'm saying, folks. Again, it's been. If you haven't been able to tell, it's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy season. We've got seven weeks left to go. And then, of course, we've got the madness that is the committee coming up. It's right around the corner, folks. We're in October. We've only got about a month and a half left to go before we get into postseason selection. And now every game is critical. Thank you for listening in. As always, again, you can listen back on this on SoundCloud or iTunes. Whenever you like, just go to Football Game Plan in the podcast section. We'll be back next week. To reveal what it, review whatever craziness happens this week because it's going to happen, and get you ready for week nine. Thanks for listening in, folks.